You've undoubtedly heard that storytelling is an effective and important way to influence. On today's show, the four kinds of stories you should be telling and the permission you might need to take action. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 148. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal leadership. This is the show that will help you to improve your skill sets. You can lead people more effectively and tap into the people's skills part of organizational life and leadership. I'm so glad that you're back with us today because I have today a guest with us who really is an expert in a skill that is so important for so many of us as leaders. And we've heard about it on the show before, and that's the skill of storytelling. Uh, However, we haven't talked a lot about storytelling in the past. And storytelling, if we can leverage the strengths of it and the benefits we get from storytelling will help us to lead in so many wonderful ways. And that's why I'm so glad to have David Hutchins here today with me. David is a writer and an organizational storyteller who has helped to create change through innovative learning solutions and products for some of the greatest companies in the world. Uh, He's a former advertising copywriter, and he now writes about organizational structures, strategy, learning, and leadership. And next spring, 2015, he's going to be coming out with a new book called Circle of the Nine Muses, a storytelling field guide for innovators and meaning makers. David, I am so glad to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. No, thank you, Dave. I'm I'm a fan of your show and I'm yeah, I'm honored to to be a part of it. So thank you. Well, I am so glad to get connected with you. I have heard about you for many years actually. Um and what uh people probably won't know is that you are uh the business partner with Susan Gerke, who was on our show most recently, episodes 138 and 139, talking about team effectiveness. And uh, Susan has always said wonderful things about you over the years and how skilled and talented you are in storytelling. So I'm, uh, I'm, I can't wait to learn from you today. Um, and I, I'm wondering maybe if we could just start off with why storytelling is an important skill for leaders to have because you you say in some of your materials that if you're a leader you're the narrator tell me about that uh the one word answer would be influence uh if you want to go a little bit deeper uh yeah it's it it connects to every aspect of, of your influence as a leader um you know, there's there are a lot of people I know who who do story work that that focus on, you know, how to tell a good story and how to tell it really well. You know, how to how to make it dramatic and how to use your your voice and nonverbals to make a, a an exciting presentation. And I really don't focus on that. 
Uh, I think it's more important to tell a strategic story, to tell the right story, even if you don't tell it particularly well. So, you know, a, a lot of leaders, when they hear this topic of storytelling, they get a little bit intimidated because everybody knows a really good storyteller, you know? It, it, it's the guy that if, if you all go out to dinner together, it, it's the guy who all the energy at the dinner table goes to that person because he or she tells such great stories. I, I'm not interested in helping people become that guy. I'm more interested into tapping into your authentic leadership voice. Even if you stutter, even if you say um and ah too much when you speak, it, this isn't about presentation skills. It can be. I mean, there, there's certainly a place for the beautifully told story, but I'm more interested in the strategic story, the well-chosen story that the leader is telling for a reason. The leader chooses to, to share a story with their team at this moment because it's about influence and it's about alignment, bringing people together to do something important. Story can be a very powerful path to doing that. That's one of the things that caught my attention when I saw your materials and, and we were preparing for this conversation today is that you really do look at how to create alignment and engagement through telling stories. And in particular, I was interested that you have identified four core stories that leaders should be able to tell about their organization. And so I, I thought maybe we'd spend some time looking at that because that that's some that's some real there's some real practical things here I think just about anybody could do to help them to influence more effectively. These are the stories you should be telling and, and I'll tell you what the four core stories are. They are who we are stories. These are the stories that say this is what it means to be us. This is our identity. There are vision stories these are the stories of the future that we desire. This is the, these are the stories of where we're going, and we hope that you, our team, and our marketplace will choose to engage and become a part of that future story. Third, there are values stories. These are actually closely connected to the identity stories. You know, values are part of identity. I call them out separately because most organizations have a statement of values. Mm -hmm. And I've worked with organizations where that statement of values can actually become a source of cynicism. You know, if all the organization has done is printed up the document and framed it and it's in the lobby and it says, we value excellence and quality and teamwork and people are our greatest assets. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the espoused values, but if you're not telling the stories around those, you know, what does customer service really mean here? Mm. When we say we value excellence, what are we really saying? What's special about that here? Got it. When you, yeah, when you tell those stories, the values become a differentiator. They become vital and something powerful for the organization and for the team. And finally, the fourth bucket of stories is change and learning. And I call this out, maybe it's because of my background in organizational learning. I think there's enormous influence and in leadership when we tell the stories about 
a time we tried something as a leader or as a team or even collectively as an organization, and we didn't get the results we wanted. And so we changed our mental models and we changed our behaviors, and now we're getting different results. Mm. That's a source of, uh, of not just learning, but of, of leadership and, and credibility. And think of how few leaders are willing to tell those stories. And yet when you do that, you can become a powerful force for, for change and learning. Yeah, David, I appreciate the um, analogy you gave of the guy at dinner who's the great storyteller. And I think that that, having done a little bit of work with leaders on storytelling over the years, not anywhere as much as you have, um, I think that that is an obstacle for a lot of us that we feel like we really do need to be that great storyteller. And I, and I think that people sometimes get into that, okay, where do I start? And so that, I, I like this, this four core story model because it, it does give people a place to start from. Um, so I guess maybe before we get into some of the details of each one, uh, what is the starting point? And, and how do you, as a leader, decide where to go with the, which of these four to do and where the start that starting point is. And do you, do you find that there's something that's helpful for people around that of where to begin? The starting point is permission and self-awareness. You know, I, I kind of laugh at myself sometimes because I'm going around the world working with companies talking about this subject storytelling that really nobody has to learn how to do, you know, all I'm doing is reminding people because when, when you go home at the end of the day, in your case, when you walk from your home office to your kitchen for dinner uh, and step over a laundry basket, uh, you naturally fall back into storytelling. You'll sit down with your partner or your spouse and they'll say, so tell me about your day. And you'll say, well, I listened to a podcast today, and it was really interesting. And you'll naturally start telling stories. This is, the, this is our natural language for creating connection and community. And no one has to tell you how to do it. Hmm. But when we step into organizations, something changes, and people stop telling stories. And people start talking in terms of, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the – pernicious PowerPoint influence that has us talking in, um, in bullet points and in, in data and in um, principles and axioms rather than telling stories. But think how often in business meetings people are not telling stories. Hmm. They're simply sharing information and then sharing directives. And so um, the, the place to begin for the leader is that permission. I already know how to do this. This is something I do at home. And I'm going to take a few minutes at the beginning of this meeting because there's a story I want to tell that I think is important that says something about what we're doing here. Hmm. And I'm going to tell that story. I mean, it's not any harder than that. Now, then we can get very specific about talking about, you know, strategically what are those stories and how do I create dialogue around those stories? And, you know, that's a lot of the writing that I'm doing right, right now. But it begins really with that awareness. You know, there's opportunities all the time for me to tell a story that's going to create some shared awareness and some meaning about what we're experiencing right now. I, I love it. I love it. And that makes it so much more 
accessible for so many of us who otherwise might be <laughs> might be really uh, hesitant to try this, thinking we need to be the professional storyteller. And and in fact, it's probably better if we don't <laughs> try to reach that standard. Uh, yeah, let's look at one of these. And you know, you mentioned one of the first uh, core stories is the who we are story. Uh, tell me about that. Um, who we are stories. The, these are the stories that say what it means to be us. You know, think about the stories your parents told you about when they were young and what it was like growing up. Or think about, uh, I, I, I don't know how old your, your kids are. Maybe they're a little too young, Dave, for you to be telling them stories. Um, I tell my st- kids stories about what it was like for me to be a teenager in New Orleans, Louisiana, and how it was different than it is now. And when I do that, whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm, I'm imparting an enormous amount of information about what I believe and what is important to me. And not just who was I then, but this says something about who we are now. And so there are identity stories at the individual level, at the, te- at the leadership level, at the team level, and the organizational level. There's one really fascinating subset of who we are stories that are the origin stories. Mm. You know, what was true at the very beginning? You know, every organization has an origin story. Every time you start a new team or a new project, you have a new origin story. So it's not just, you know, way back, you know, 30 years ago in time. Every time you start something new, whatever is happening at the beginning, you're creating the DNA of that project or that team. And later, when you go back and tell the stories of, hey, do you remember how we got started? Do you remember what was true about us at the beginning? Especially when things get hard in the work, those things that were true and exciting at the beginning are still true and they're still vital and they're still important. One of the great origin stories is from uh, General Electric. Uh, I was I was the copywriter for their website. I actually wrote all 300 pages of that crazy website. And uh, here is how we share General Electric's origin story. Listen to this. I'm, I'm going to read this from the website. Uh, it says, the year was 1876, America's centennial. It was also the year that Thomas Alva Edison opened a laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. Out of that laboratory was to come perhaps the greatest invention of the age, a successful incandescent electric lamp, the light bulb. After a merger in 1892, he called his new organization General Electric. Dave, listen to this last line of the story. Today, that same spirit of innovation and discovery is still a part of everything we do. Hmm. Nice. That's that last line is critical. You tell the story, and then the the leader the leader storyteller does something different than say a Hollywood storyteller does. The leader storyteller says, "There's a reason I told you this story because it says something about us, and I'm going to draw that out." And so, you know, you'd better believe that at General Electric, whenever there's a, a change initiative or they're calling on people to do difficult things. They connect back to this story, and they'll say, hey, 
do you remember? We started this way. We've always been about innovation and discovery. We've never rested. And people will say, oh, yeah, that's true. That is who we are. And it connects people back to their, to their identity and to their origin. Mm. The, the goal as a leader here then and the benefit we get is really connecting people to the, the, the bigger meaning for why the organization's doing what the organization's doing and how it speaks to a shared narrative around um, why we're moving forward on this and why, we, why, why, we're, uh, why we're pursuing this strategy or making this change. That's right. And the opportunity for you, the leader, even right now as you're listening to this podcast, is to start thinking of what are those identity and origin stories that I have? You know, what was true when you joined this industry or when you decided you wanted to go into this work? Or what was true when you started this project? What was true when you joined this team? There's probably a story there that is worth telling to say there, the things that were true at the beginning say something important about, about our identity. Tell those stories. They're very powerful. And would it be a fair statement that where the who we are story is retrospective in some ways that the vision story, the, the second of these, is more forward-looking? The, the who we are story is going to be historical and retrospective. It might be yesterday, or it might even be this morning. You know, hey, this morning, um, I was in a conversation with a team member, and I was really impressed with, with this team, team member. And I want to tell you what they said, mm. because this team, team member really embodied who we are. So it can be just a little while ago. That's a who we are story. This team member just demonstrated who we are at our best. And I want people to see that and hear that. And so as a leader, my job is to let other people know. And so the visions, if we were telling a vision story, that would be more, um, more looking to the future of telling a story of what, what we would imagine could happen down the road. Yeah. Um, so that's our second core story is the vision story. And the, these are tricky because we're telling a story about something that hasn't happened yet where it's a story of something we want to happen. And so there's a few ways to do that. One is to kind of use a, a leap of imagination and put people into your future and tell the story of, you know, let me tell you about our team five years down the road. And let me tell you what that looks like and what that feels like and what's happening and how customers are responding. And when you tell those stories, especially if you tell those stories in using present tense language, Something really fascinating happens. Um, uh, you know, there's there's a a brain neurology to this where if you use present tense language to describe the future, it kind of grabs the future and drags it into the present. It makes it real, and people experience the story and the emotions, and it becomes a very powerful vision because now it's alive because you've you've told this future story in present tense language. Mm. Another way to go about it is to reach out to another organization and tell a story of somebody else who's already doing the thing that you aspire to. You know, this, this hard, challenging work of our organization, it's already happening in this different place. Let me tell you what that looks like. 
And you can draw to a very different industry, a different culture, a different part of the world to give people a vision of what that might look like. It may be that you reach to a different industry and a different organization when the story you want to tell and the vision you want to share is so far removed or if you think there will be defensiveness or if people think it's impossible, sometimes it really frees up people's imaginations to say, let me tell you a story about a small village in Africa. Mm. And that removes the defensiveness. You know, that removes the, that would never work here. Now it's, wow, a small village in Africa is doing this amazing thing. Or it may be General Electric or Apple Computers is doing this and, and look how well it's working for them. And then we get to have those learning conversations where we say, all right, well, we're not Apple and we're not General Electric and we're not a village in Africa. What does that look like if we take that idea and bring it over here to our organization? Hmm. And now we're creating together. Fabulous. Uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago that one of the obstacles a lot of people have in organizations is this kind of the the espoused values that are up on the wall or in the lobby. And you and I have both seen this many times where you walk in the organization and, and they're, they're beautifully emblazoned somewhere. And then when you talk to people, though, um, people do have a lot of cynicism around one or more of those words. And so uh, one of the, the third story here is stories of values in action. Um, how does this play out and, and how does that help get beyond some of that cynicism that people might have in organizations? You know who does this beautifully is Zappos, zappos.com. Um, Dave, do you or your wife buy shoes from Zappos? Actually, Bonnie buys shoes from them all the time. My wife does too, and my wife is great. She loves this company. I mean, loves them. And I'm like, how, how can you love an online shoe company? But she loves them, and it's because they do this. They tell these stories. I mean, they, they say they're a storytelling culture. Go to their website and check it out. Um, one of Zappos' uh, uh, values is for customer service. Well, you know, so what? So is my value. So is your value. Everybody says that. Zappos tells the stories of customer service, and they're unbelievable stories. And they're creating these stories. I mean, they're intentional about it. They're looking around saying, what are the stories when one of our guys on the phone with a customer did something really remarkable? And when they find that story, they are very assertive about telling that story. Hmm. One of their famous stories that has almost become legend is the 10-hour the customer service call. And there was a guy in the customer service center you know, with a headset on, and a call comes in, and it's a, a customer who wants to buy a pair of Ugg boots. And so the guy takes the order, and they start talking, and the, the service rep finds out that this person is about to relocate to Las Vegas, Nevada, which is where the headquarters of Zappos is. And so they begin talking about what life in Las Vegas is like and where are the good neighborhoods and where are the good schools. And the customer service rep ended up being on the phone for 10 hours wow. with this guy, coaching him and pre preparing him for his move. And then at the end of the 10-hour call, the guy placed the order for the Ugg boots. <laughs> nice. 
Do a Google search. If you do a Google search for Zappos 10-hour call, you're going to get dozens of links. This story has gone viral. And you could argue that that was a that was a waste of time. You know, there's you know, there's there's uh, the number of hours that a customer service rep is, is there on the phone and how many sales he needs to close and this guy blew the formula. You know, it's a waste of money. Until you look at the, the the goodwill that was generated by that story and the viral nature of it and the way it has brought the value for customer service to life, now that story is is priceless. Hmm. I'm sure it's worth millions of dollars to the organization. And and from the strategy standpoint, like you had talked about earlier, it's it, you know, it's something that certainly has been useful to tell the story from a marketing standpoint. But I, but I also think that the piece that people might miss is that the other members of the organization hear that story retold, see how much story, how much traction that story's gotten, and then make different decisions when they're on the phone with customers as far as how they engage with people. Oh, beautiful point. You're exactly right. Um, when I work with teams or organizations, especially if we brought in people from different parts of the organizations, and they begin telling the stories of our values of, you know, what it looks like when we're at our best living our values. You know, it's, it's emotional. It's not uncommon for people to be in tears and to, you know, be getting goosebumps and hugging each other because it reconnects people with, wow, this is why I care about this work. Mm. And, yeah, our company is has dysfunction and we're screwed up in a lot of ways, just like every company. But when we're living our values and when we're at our best, this is what I believe in and this is what I want to be a part of. And the stories that come out, people had no idea that these amazing things were happening in the company, that people were living out the values in such extraordinary ways. And you have to create the opportunity for people to come together and tell those stories so we can hear them from each other. Otherwise, they get lost. Fabulous. Well, and, and the, uh, this is a great uh, transition to, our, to the last story, which is the you know, importance of, of sharing some of these stories and them not getting lost from a change in learning standpoint too. And so the, the fourth one is stories of change in learning. And uh, you say that this is sometimes the often neglected category of stories because it is a little more risky as an organization and as a leader to uh, appear vulnerable. Uh, why is this an important story for leaders to be able to tell and what's the value in telling it? Yeah, I work with a lot of organizations where this this is the hard one, you know, especially in very hardworking organizations with very smart people where there's an expectation that you will have the answer and you will deliver results. People don't want to tell the story about the time I blew it. And yet, think about the leaders you've had that you that you love the most. I bet they have been transparent and honest in sharing their journey with you and letting you know the times that the times they did blow it. And the way you take those failures and turn them into value is you say, yeah, I blew it and I learned something. Mm. And now I'm going to tell you that story 
so that you don't have to make that mistake and you get to take that learning that was so hard won for me and now I'm passing it on to you. And when leaders do that, what they discover is it's not a risk. In fact, it, it builds their credibility and it builds cohesion and loyalty. And so for some people, that's a real culture change. That's a real risk to tell the story, the, the learning story. At the individual level, uh, organizations do this as well. You know, Coca-Cola has a great organizational learning story about the introduction and failure of new Coke back in the 1980s. And it's a, you know, it's a famous corporate failure. You know, if you remember that, they introduced new Coke and the marketplace responded by stockpiling their old formula Coca-Cola in their garages because they didn't want it going away. You know, hey, we, we want our old Coke. Don't make us drink new Coke. And people started hoarding old Coca-Cola. And in fact, it made the stock price of Coca-Cola go up. And it was this big failure launch. And here is how um, the Coca-Cola storyteller historian, there's actually a guy on staff who's the storyteller for the company. And here's how he tells that story of organizational learning. And I'm reading this because these are his words. He said, before we introduced new Coke, we tested it endlessly with focus groups. Consumers were unanimous. New Coke tasted better. So why did it fail in the marketplace? It's because we never asked the crucial question, what if we got rid of old Coca-Cola and replaced it with the new Coke? That question would have revealed the deep emotional connection people have about our brand. We thought they wanted better flavor. We discovered they want to maintain their emotional connection to our brand. Here's the connection at the end. It was a mistake that taught us not to ignore the incredible brand loyalty we have cultivated for more than 100 years. Mm. What a great story. Isn't that amazing? And yeah. so that's at the corporate level, talking about the big screw up and then drawing some value out of it. We now know ourselves and our marketplace better. And what a great example of a company who had, who had, a, had that very public misstep and yet uh, responded to it in a way that has continued their success for many, many years since then. And even in that story, you can hear the outline that you can use at an individual level, which is, I tried something, Here's the bad result I got. Here's why I got that bad result. Here's how I am now changing my thinking and my behaviors so I can get a better result next time. Mm. Mm. I do that with my kids. You know, over dinner, hey kids, today I had a, a conference call and man, I, I said something really stupid. Let me tell you what happened. And my kids, you know, they, they think it's the most fascinating story they've ever heard. Daddy screwed up. Yeah, yeah. And I tell them, and I tell them what I learned. You know, that's, that's parenting. Speaking of screwing up, what, are, what is maybe the most common or, or one of the common missteps that leaders make when attempting to tell some of these stories? We already discussed one of the missteps, which is the performance piece. You know, people think they have to, to change their voice or start talking like, a professional storyteller. And if, if I came up to you in the hallway and I said, Dave, picture the scene. We're sitting at a client meeting. You'd say, Dave, why, 
why are you talking like that? You know, because that, that's not how I talk. So the first is authenticity. Talk like you. Yeah. You know, yeah. When we create story sessions um, with organizations, that's my first um, instruction that I give people. And when you get up in front of your team, if you say um and uh, you know, it's okay. Tell your story. We're not critiquing you on the quality of the story. Now, there is a place for that if you're, um, if you're dealing with media or market-facing or if you're delivering presentations, then, then that skill does become important. But in daily influence, you, know, you don't have to perform. In fact, the authenticity question comes up all the time. People are suspicious of storytelling because they, they don't want to manipulate and they don't want to act. Mm. Don't act. This is just you being you, talking about things you care about. I noticed on your website that you've written a children's book before, and I am I, I'm thinking back to how when I read our son Luke a book at night, he's two and a half years old, how while he's such an active child and he's always running around doing stuff, when we sit down to read a story, he is absolutely uh, just transformed and and just listen so intently to that story and I, and I think that there's probably a powerful lesson there for us as leaders of just the power of of a story and um, you know I so appreciate you bringing the this this message today and the and the message of that it is um, it, it's very accessible for us we don't have to try to be this you know, professional storyteller, but we can really tap into the benefits and the strategy of storytelling um, just by doing some some very simple things. So you can go to YouTube and, and look up this this video of this abstract storytelling. The psychologist created a um, very crude animation of a triangle in a circle, and you see the triangle go up to the circle, and it's moving, and then it moves away, and it's so abstract, it's crazy. And yet, if you show it to very young children, as, as young as, you know, three or four years old, without any trouble at all, they'll say, oh, the triangle is mad at the circle. And now the triangle is getting scared and running away. And now the circle is mad and the circle wants to go beat up the triangle. And across cultures, children will tell a similar story about what's happening with these shapes. And adults will do it, too. And it's a fascinating exercise in how the mind looks for patterns of story. And effortlessly, the mind creates story and interprets the world in terms of story. And so this, we're born with it, and it stays with us our entire lives. This is the, the fertile ground for leadership. When you speak the language of story, you create engagement you create alignment, you help people tap into what they care about the most and bring that to the work of the organization. And it's your greatest source of influence in team building and strategy and alignment. David Hutchins is a writer and organizational storyteller and is the author of the upcoming book in spring 2015, Circle of the Nine Muses, a storytelling field guide for innovators and meaning makers. And David, I am uh, so glad you shared your wisdom with us. And I hope we can have you back uh, once your book launches next spring and learn even more from you. 
I would love that. Thank you. I'm not sure about you, but the big thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is the permission to get started. I, I, I know I've worked with a lot of leaders before that do get hung up on this. You know, I have to be this perfect storyteller. You know, they've heard about storytelling and how they have to get the details right and and really do it well. And that that's such a high bar to to feel like you need to clear. And I love how David's work is really focused around just get started, uh, just get started and and do what you would do in everyday conversation when you're talking with a friend or family member and bring that into your leadership. And if you do that some some cool things can happen as far as how you're communicating. And I know we would both love to hear what you do with that. So as you start bringing that into your work and into your leadership, uh, we'd love to hear what happens. And I hope that you'll join the conversation on the website, coachingforleaders.com slash 148. So let us know what stories you're telling, and what happens as you start telling those stories. And of course, uh, always appreciate your comments, questions, or feedback on anything for this episode or any future episodes. The best way to do that is to visit the website online at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. A couple of ways there to get in touch. And, uh, the final reminder for the listener survey, you've heard me talk about it the last couple of weeks, but this will be the last week likely that it's up. Uh, five minutes of your time. I would love your input if you haven't already given it at coachingforleaders.com slash survey. The link will again be this week in the weekly update, so feel free to click on it there if you get the weekly update. Otherwise, coachingforleaders.com slash survey is the way to get there directly. I'd love five minutes of your input. It will help shape the direction of this show going forward, and I definitely want your voice to be involved in that. Hey, a huge thank you this week to Arch Dawes, Tori Peace, Brent Miller, Bridget Blackford, Hector Gutierrez, David Welch, Jeff Trimble, Deepak Calhoun, uh, Kaloon, sorry, Deepak, Christy Owen, uh, Leandro Soros, Kevin Kawada, Kevin McClelland, Katie Arnst, Mandy Blasby, Malcolm McDonald, Don Rannigan, and Henry Richard Pasaribu. Hope I said your name there right, Henry. Hey, thank you so much to all of you for subscribing to the weekly update. Every Wednesday, I send out the weekly update. There's an article there on being more effective in your leadership that will always be included. In addition, always the notes for this episode, including the notes, or, or for this show rather, including the notes for this episode too. So check those out each week. Uh, once in a while, and I've already heard some comments from the survey of people wanting uh, even a little bit better summary at the end of shows. Uh, I try to do that, uh, but I, I try to not do that too much because it's all in the weekly update. So if you're looking for more information there, more of the links and a good, concise summary of what we talked about in the show, check that out. Coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe is how to get on the weekly update. And I look forward to talking with you again next week. Have a great one. <laughs>